Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. Blessed, blessed, blessed to have the pastors that you do. Incredibly blessed. You look good. You look marvelous, as a matter of fact. Look at this. Look at this auditorium. It's incredible. It's amazing. I was here just a year ago, and it didn't look like this. It looks so different. So different. And I'm just, I'm just so proud of you. And it's an incredible thing when you see pastors building the kingdom of God, and building the church with grace and humility like your pastors are, you are blessed. Would you stand up and give them a big just thank you for all that they do? Woo! 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 Amen. Come on. Jordan, come on. Let me throw up a picture real quick of my family. That is, we don't have them all together in one picture, so it's a montage of us. There's four adult kids and 12 grandkids. Who here has grandkids and knows the joy of life? Come on. Hallelujah. That's, that's a my crew. Um, what a blessing to be in this sanctuary. This is a big deal to be in here. This moment of opening this auditorium, opening this sanctuary has impacted your future as a church. You know that? Your future has changed. The trajectory of your church has changed because you responded to a moment that God gave you an offer, God gave you an opportunity, God gave you a moment, and you as a church responded in faith, and it has changed you forever in a good way. Give yourselves a hand for responding as you have. And this moment will be spoken of for generations to come. Generations to come will speak about the moment when you not only got this facility, but God did the miracles to get you in and do the things that he did here. And I'm excited about another part because in the Bible, there's two books, Ezra and Nehemiah. They were given building projects by God. And in the midst of their building projects and after their building projects, there was a spiritual renewal in the people. And that's what I'm believing for, for Celebration Church, is you're going to have a spiritual renewal as a people because of your obedience to God and what he's asked you to do. I call these moments, like you're in right now, prophetic moments. Prophetic moments. That's what my title for today is, prophetic moments. You might call them defining moments. They're moments that change the trajectory of our lives. And you as an individual, have, we will have, you will have prophetic moments, defining moments in your life. Your family will have defining moments. Your church will have defining moments. Your city, your nation will have defining moments. And we'll talk more about that. But it's, it's such a powerful thing. I want to talk to us about our lives. And, and I, I, I want to declare prophetic things over us as a church. 
But I also want a message that hits home with you at your family and your marriage with your kids. So I want to talk about your life. Go with me to James chapter 4, verse 13. I did this in a, in a funeral once, and I hope it goes over better than it did at the funeral. It says in verse 13, James 4, 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Say, what is your life? Look at your neighbor and say, what is your life? Yeah, this is a responsive group right now. Come on, you're moving towards an A plus right now. Just want you to know, just want you to know. What is your life? What a profound statement. What is your life? And God's about ready to tell us something that we maybe aren't aware of about our life. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Life is fast. Whether you're here 10 years old today or 90 years old, it's fast. And the thing that happens is the older you get, the more you realize that. Where's my helper? Halster, bring me that. We're going to do a demonstration here. See if I can keep from... Yeah, give Hollister a hand. Come on. Love this man. Got to see him experience golf at Top Golf yesterday. He was rocking it. Um, and hopefully your smoke alarms aren't real sensitive here. But anyway, I want to do something here that... Uh, this is what I did at the funeral. We got people saved at that funeral too, I want you to know. Um, so he says, your life is just a vapor. So I want, when I put this out, there's going to be smoke come out from it. And I want you to watch that smoke. What? It's already gone. Usually I can count to three. One, two, three, and it's gone. What I'm wanting to show us is life goes fast. And we really don't want to waste any of it. Because before you know it, you're going to be 20. Before you know it, you're going to be 30. Before you know it, you're going to be 50. Before you know it, you're going to be 66 and retiring this year. Oh, that's me. Sorry. I, I kind of took you on my journey there with me. Listen, when you and I are gone, we've, we're in heaven and people are sitting around eating chicken or burritos or whatever they're going to eat when you're gone. I don't know what your favorite food is. And they're thinking and talking about you. They will not remember your whole life. They will not remember your whole life. They will not remember how many houses you had. They won't remember how many cars you had. What they will remember are moments. They will sit around. You watch. They'll sit around and they'll talk about moments. And the moments they will talk about are the moments that define who you are to them. Not your whole life, but moments. So I, I want to talk about these moments because these moments in our lives, you as a church are sitting in a prophetic moment. These moments in our lives are going to define who we are in the future. Our life is made up of moments. Moments in a person's life, in a family, in a church, and even in a nation. And many, if not many of those moments that are prophetic or defining moments are hard times. They're challenges, they're difficulties, they're problems. Those are quite often what make up the prophetic moments in our lives. And how that person, how that family, how that church, how that nation responds in that moment will define them for generations to come. And we want to be, don't we? We want to be a people that when those prophetic moments come in our life, we respond in faith and God takes us to the next level, just like he's doing with you as a church. Okay, you got an A+. I'm just telling you right now. Just don't backslide on me, okay? 
So we have these moments, these prophetic moments, these defining moments, and when we respond in faith, they change the course of our lives. Celebration Church, you're sitting in a prophetic moment. We could look at the calendar and say, this is a prophetic moment for Celebration Church, but this is a physical manifestation we are sitting in of a prophetic moment in the church. You responded in faith. You responded. Your leaders responded in faith. Believe God to do the impossible. You made sacrifices. You made commitments. And in the midst of that, you responded well to a prophetic moment, and now God is going to take you to another level. It's going to take you to another place. So these prophetic moments, even in sports, in games, I'm going to talk to you about that. There are prophetic or defining moments in games when they're won or lost in our lives, families. Go with me to Matthew 25. I want to give you an example of some people that met their prophetic moment and some people that failed their prophetic moment. Matthew 25, verse 1. These are the words of Jesus. If it's red letter edition of your Bible, you have red letters we're reading right now. So these are the words of Jesus. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. How rude is that? I mean, how much does he really know them? And he's calling them foolish. I, I teach our, our stu- school of leadership, leadership discipleship school about work, that God created work. He says, my father and I, are, we're always working. That work is not under the curse. Work is part of a blessing. And the thing that work does, oh, I'm getting way off track. The thing that work does, work shows the intangible soul on the outside. It says, I walked by the field of a lazy man. How rude is that? How do you know he's lazy? <laughs> okay, this is totally off base. I'm just, I just went off on a moment there. I hope it was Holy Ghost. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. Hmm. The wise, however, took oil jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. God doesn't always show up when we think he's going to. Amen? He does not always show up on our schedule. At midnight, in other words, the darkest hour, at the most inconvenient moment, God shows up. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready, say ready. Ready. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And that door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Wow. So these virgins thought they could answer, but they didn't realize their time had passed. They didn't realize they were not prepared for their prophetic moment. That was a prophetic moment when the bridegroom showed up, but they weren't there. They weren't ready for it. They missed their moment. And it is absolutely possible to miss our moment. And we live in a culture where everybody gets a trophy. First place, last place, middle place, everything. The scorekeeper, he gets a trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. (laughs) But in the kingdom of God, it's not so. If we miss our moment, there's no trophy. We need to be a people that are prepared for whenever those prophetic moments come. And the, the reality is, I don't know when they're coming. Now and then, I may know a little glimpse ahead of time. But more often than not, my prophetic moment shows up and, uh uh-oh, this is it. 
this is a prophetic moment. Am I going to respond in faith or am I going to draw back from it and not be prepared? The daily faithful decisions that you and I make every day will fuel and help us rise up to respond in faith in those prophetic moments. See, the moment that we're sitting in here, this facility, your lobby, this, this auditorium, this sanctuary, this is bigger than you think. Come on now, this is bigger than you think. This is not just chairs and fabric and buildings and video. And This is bigger than you think. This involves thousands of people. This involves influence because whenever you are faithful in the kingdom of God, God says, way to go, I'm giving you more. But Lord, you don't understand, I'm tired from the last one, and that's what we're going to talk about today. God says, that's all right, I'm going to give you more. So this is bigger than you think, bigger than you realize. I was listening to, I think it was Nick Saban, who I think is one of the greatest uh, college coaches of all time in college football, and he was being interviewed, and they were asking him, what about certain games? And he says, you know, in every game, there are three to four, maybe five or six plays in that game that decide the outcome of the game. And as I'm hearing him say that, I'm going, he's talking about prophetic moments. Those are defining moments is what he's talking about. The, he's saying in the game, three to four, maybe five or six, and he said the team that is the most prepared usually wins most of those moments, those plays. Man, I'm, that's my message. That's my sermon right there. That, that, that's what he's talking about. Think about David. David, did David have any prophetic moments in the Bible? He had a big, ugly one, a big, hairy, ugly one called Goliath. That was a prophetic moment. He's all of a sudden, he's going to hand out food. He's going to check on the family and sees what's going on. Next thing, he is, he's face to face with a 12 foot, 10 foot, whatever he is, hairy giant. And this is his prophetic moment. But he was prepared. Because on his days off, he had killed a bear. On his quiet day, he killed a lion. On his week of vacation, he spent present in the presence of God worshiping him. So when that prophetic moment arrived, he had confidence he'd slain the lion and the bear. And the Holy Spirit was on him because he walked in that place with God. He was ready for his prophetic moment. And we're still reading about it today. Hundreds and hundreds of years later. Joseph, one of his prophetic moments, had a petticoat on. Potiphar's wife. She made a move on him. She was after him. And he, he wouldn't have anything to do with it. He was prepared. He shut her down and ran out. That was a prophetic moment for him. Changed the trajectory of his life. The rich young ruler on the other side of the coin came to Jesus and said, what should I do? Jesus laid, laid out some of the commandments. He said, I've done all those commandments. And Jesus looked at him, and I love this. It says he loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you just lack one thing. Sell everything that you've got. Give it to the poor. And think of this invitation. Come and follow me. Man, would we have read about him? He would have been memorialized today probably. We'd read stories about him. But in that prophetic moment, he was in a prophetic moment. He missed it. It says he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. He missed his prophetic moment. I talked about nations. There are nations. Our nation, I can take you to ground and places in our nation where we turned. I can take you to one especially. On one acre piece of ground, our nation turned. It's called Gettysburg. It's called Little Round Top. Our nation had already divided. It wasn't going to divide. It had already divided. And, and the north had lost many battles, and, and the south is coming up, and they meet at a place called Gettysburg, and the battle's raging, but the one place where it really turned is called Little Round Top, and it was the 20th Maine, Joshua Chamberlain, who was a Christian, 
His group was there, and the south tried to outflank him, come around the side, and they would have won that battle, and if they won that battle, maybe have won the war, and instead of one nation, we're two or three nations as America. But I love it. Joshua Chamberlain was ready for his prophetic moment. His men come to him and say, we're out of ammunition, and the south is charging again, and you read the plaque there on that spot, and this is what he said, fix bayonets. Fix bayonets. I don't care if we're out of bullets. Put your bayonets on. And it said it went like lightning through the men. So they fixed bayonets, and they charged down the hill and met their prophetic moment and turned the battle right there. Powerful, powerful. Prophetic moments in our lives are those moments that will speak and influence the rest of our lives. These moments will shape our destiny. And Celebration Church, today we are celebrating you met your moment. You met one of your moments. There are more to come, but you met this moment, and God's so pleased with you, and he's proud of you. And such an important part of meeting those moments is preparation. Preparation is so important on the quiet days. It's okay to have a vision and focus on the future, but don't despise today. Some of us get in a, we FOMO, baby. We got FOMO. We uh, fear of missing out, and so we've God give us a moment of quiet. And we could be with him. We could do something with him. But we got FOMO. They're doing this. They're doing that. And God's saying, I'd like to hang out with you today. I'd like to pour out my Holy Spirit on you today. I'd like to have a good time with you today. I'd like to give you a revelation in my word that will change your life forever. And you're looking over the fence. We need to value today, even if it's a quiet day, even if it's not what we would like it to be. Maybe it's not what others. Never despise the day of small beginnings. Days of preparation are never wasted days. I love it. Do you know the Bible is a book of moments? I, I, I double dog dare you. Open anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> Open anywhere in the Bible. Put your finger down and it will be a moment. It will be somebody's moment. It'll be a prophetic moment. It'll be a defining moment. Did they respond in faith? Did they not respond in faith? That's what the Bible is, is a book of people's moments. And sometimes those defining moments come and we know, but sometimes we don't. So in the next few minutes, I want to take some time and I want to give you, I believe, a biblical kingdom principle that will help you and I be ready when those moments come in our lives. And we are able to go up in God and do the things that he's created us to do instead of draw back from that. Are you with me? Is you ready or ain't you ready? All right, let's go do it. What is beyond A plus? What what can you give after A plus? So... Most defining moments, most prophetic moments require something of me I don't have. I mean, God doesn't mind to ask us to do things we can't do. It's outside of my natural strength. It's outside of my natural ability. If we are following Jesus, we will be asked to go beyond our own abilities, beyond our own strengths. That's because Jesus wants to show up and do through us what we can't do. I mean, there are people all over the world that are doing what they can do. God doesn't need a people that can do what they can do. God needs a people that will yield to him and let him do what's impossible for them and do what they can't do in their own strength. One One of the strategies of hell to stop you and I and want us to miss our prophetic moments is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, in the Amplified, it says that he wears out the saints. He wants to wear out the saints. Now, this is wild. And this is off track. One of the ways he wears out the saints is by passing laws and doing different things like that. But we're not going to get on that right now, okay? (laughs) Hallelujah. I live in Washington State, so it hurts. It hurts. (laughs) Okay, lost my place. Matthew 11, verse 28. 
This is the words of Jesus again. Listen what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened or heavy laden, another translation says, and I will give you something. If you will come to me, I'm going to give you something. I will give you rest. So Jesus is speaking to a particular group at this moment in this scripture. It's not just broadcast out for a speaking to a particular group. And those are the people who are weary, burdened down, heavy laden. So I want to look at the definition of these words so we can identify who's he speaking to. That word weary in the Bible means to feel fatigued, to have worked hard. You're overworked. Your weariness. And actually, this word goes so deep at the root of it, it has mourning in it because it says that um, it means to beat the breast with grief. You know, when things, you lose a loved one, maybe you lose a job or something so traumatic happens in your life, you don't got anything to say. I, I, don't, I don't have words for this. And you just, have you ever seen that or had that happen to yourself? It's just like, I, I just don't know what to do. All I can do is just hit my chest. That's, that's the meaning of this word. So it's people that are fatigued. They're overworked. They've, they're carrying too heavy a load. They're, they're grieving. Uh, maybe a dream has died. Maybe a, a relationship has broken up. The next word is burdened or heavy laden. It means to load something up like a vessel or an animal. It means to be overburdened or heavy load, something that's being carried like the cargo of a ship. I've watched on YouTube and you'll see a boat, a picture of a boat in the lake, and it's a boat meant for five or six people, and they got 20 people in it. You ever seen those videos? And the water is that close to coming in. It is that close. But that's who he's talking to, is people that think they're going under. Jesus, I have so much going on. I have so many problems. I have so much going on in my life. I think I'm going under. I don't think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going under. That's who he's speaking to today. Come to me, come to me. Come on, sweetie. Come to me. All you that are heavy laden, you that are carrying too heavy a load, come to me. I've got something to give you. In Luke 18, verse 1, it said, men, and I'll add in women, men and women should always pray and not faint. That word not faint means to lose heart. And Pastor Bob Grimm shared with us on Friday night about the power of prayer. And I believe God prophetically called Celebration Church up to another level of prayer. And one of the things that he said is, Prayer gives us the ability to do what is out of our own ability. That when we pray, it brings God on the scene and he does things that we can't do. But I want to look at that word faint. It means to be afraid, to become discouraged, to become weary or tired, or to lose heart. In other words, you want to give up. And maybe somebody's sitting here today, you're about ready to give up. Jesus is here for you today. Jesus is here for you today. Maybe you, it's hard to dream so a question I have for you is, what do you do when you grow weary, when you want to give up? What do you do when, when you don't think you can go any further? Do you hide from people? Yeah, that's one thing people do. Do you eat a lot of ice cream? <laughs> haagen baby. Dolce de leche. Boom. The nectar of heaven. Come on. Can I hear it for haagen Well, I got a few of you. All right. It's a divided crowd. A minus. A minus. Do you pull the covers over your head and never want to get out? Come on, that's something we do. Or do you binge Netflix for two days because you don't want to live in reality? You don't want to deal with anything. That's, you want to see other people's problems and issues. <laughs> or the worst thing that happens, we keep going through the motions, but we don't believe anything's going to change. We're just putting on a show for people. That's some of the things that can happen when we get weary. So in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus is speaking to tired people. That's somebody here today. 
He's speaking to weary people. He's speaking to overworked people. He's speaking to people that are grieving. He's speaking to people that are overloaded and carrying too heavy a load. And he's giving them direction and he's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. Not just for some consoling. Oh, that's, look, did you have a bad week? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Or, oh, just think happy thoughts. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have something for you. Come to me. You that are weary and heavy laden, I have something for you. But you got to come to me to get it. If you don't come to me to get it, you're not going to get what I have for you. God is looking for you and I to do one thing with our weakness, one thing with our weariness, one thing with our hardship, one thing with our disappointment. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10. Paul, the apostle, speaks about this very principle of what Jesus is saying. This is what Paul says. That is why for Christ's sake I delight. I just was thinking of this last night. What do we delight in? Well, Craig, I delight in half-off price sales, half-off sales. I delight in sunny days like we've got going on around here. I delight in hunting trips. Could I hear a hoo for hunting trips? I delight in a round of golf. What do you delight in? Listen what Paul said. This is bizarre. Paul says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Is the man sick or does he have a revelation that we don't have? says, I delight in weakness. Another word used in the Bible is infirmities. That's not a word for sickness. I'll tell you what it means in a minute. Paul says, I delight in my weakness, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Well, that strong is not in his own strength. That strong he's talking about is somebody else's strong. He might be weak, but somebody else is strong. And so he delights. When he got to the end of his line, to the end of his, uh, he could not go any further in his own strength. He says, I delight in that because if I do the right thing, God's showing up. God's going to do, I get to see a miracle. I get to see something happen that I won't get to happen in my own strength. Paul had grown and matured to understand that. That word weakness means the inability to produce results. The inability to produce results. Another way of saying it is, I can't do this. I can't do this, God. I'm at the end. I can't go any further, God. You ever told the Lord that? I can't do this, God. I can't do anymore. I'm at the end of myself. I can't do it anymore. And Paul's saying, at that moment, I know something good's going to happen. If I do the right thing, something good's going to happen. This same principle is in Isaiah 40, verse 29. He says, he gives strength to who? The weary. So if you're here and you're weary and worn out, you're in the right line. Just stay in line. Don't get out of line. Stay in line because if you stay in line, he says, I give strength to the weary. I give strength to the weary and I increase power to the weak. Woo! Do you know Jesus got weary? Jesus got weary. It says he got weary at, at Jacob's well and he sat down on the well. So if Jesus got weary, you're gonna get weary. I'm gonna get weary. Jesus sat down. His weariness made an opportunity for a woman, the woman of Samaria, to come to the well and have the power of God change her life forever. His weariness was an open door for the power of God to show up and change a woman's life. What is your weariness? What is your weakness? What is your disappointment? What are those things that are in your life that it may be a window or an opportunity or a door, if I handle it right, for people to see God and have their lives changed? Feel the Holy Ghost. Feel, it sounds like a Pentecostal preacher. I feel the Holy Ghost. Ice cream. Ice cream. Amen. Listen, adversity comes, 
Hardships come. The question isn't if they're coming, it's when they're coming. Weariness comes. Woundings come. Disappointments come. The question isn't if they're coming. The whole question is, what will we do with them when they arrive? When that moment comes, and it may very well be a prophetic moment, what will we do when those things arrive on our doorstep? Samson is a picture of this. Samson, it says, got weary. He was vexed. He was exhausted. He was worn out. But instead of taking those things to God and exchanging them for God's strength, he went to Delilah. And he laid his head on Delilah's lap, and it cost him his future, and it cost him his life. Well, you might say, well, Craig, there's no Delilahs around here. You don't have to worry about that. Well, what do you go to instead of God with your weariness, with your disappointment, with your discouragement? It's called Delilah. Whatever it is, that's our Delilah. That's your Delilah. You got really quiet on me, so I'll keep moving on that one. <laughs> what we do with those things will define us. The true Christian life is God asking us to do things we can't do in our own strength. God, how could you ask me to do this? I can't do this. Yeah. Anything else? That's what I'm doing. The true Christian life. The world does not need to see what Craig can do in his own strength. They don't need to see that. What they need to see is Craig in his weakness and his inability to produce results, let God show up and do what only God can do through Craig. That's what the world needs. Not me and what I can do in my own strength. Listen, our weariness, our difficulties, our discouragements, our wounds, our sufferings that are so painful and so real and negative to us right now, they have value in heaven. And I don't mean in the sweet by and by. Today, they have value in heaven. I'm going to explain that more. And if we take them to God, we can make an exchange with, with heaven and get something in its place. You know, uh, if you were, had a house for sale here in the valley and it was a $3 million house, you're a realtor, you got an open house. How many realtors we got in the house? Any? Lord bless our realtors if we got them. You need some realtors. <laughs> no house is complete without realtors. Come on. I'm an old realtor, commercial real estate. So. And you got this house. It's $3 million. You don't think who's going to be able to afford it. You're sitting there in an open house. Elon Musk walks through the door. Are you worried about anything here? You worried about whether he's got the currency? You worried about whether he's got the value? Are you worried about he's got the ability to buy this house? It's not crossing your mind. This guy could buy 150 of these and not break a sweat. So I want to I give you a, a natural example of what it looks like to exchange our weakness for his power, because he says we can do that. What I've got right here is a, a piece of money. It's Cambodian currency, Cambodian money, and they call their money real money, R-I-E-L, real money. And I think they call it that because it looks like play money. Anyway, <laughs> real money. This is 500 real. <laughs> 500 real right here. So at the end of service, I said, hey, 10 of you come with me. We're going to Starbucks. We go into Starbucks. I said, get anything you want. Get a drink. Get a whatever, something to eat, and you all lined up and you ordered, and then I got in line and I ordered, and all of us had ordered, and then I slapped down that real money on the counter. So there you go. What would they say? Weird. You know, they might pick it up and look at it, but they go, this doesn't do us any good because this is not recognized currency in America. This has no value in America. You cannot take this and exchange it for something, a product or a service, because it has no value here. It's not recognized here in America. We go to Australia a lot. I could do the same in Australia. I slap it down on the counter. 
They're not going to accept it because it, it has no value in Australia. It's not recognized currency in Australia. I have to take it to the place it's recognized. I have to go to Com Cambodia, and if I put it on the counter in Cambodia, I can buy whatever 500 real will buy you in Cambodia. Let me say this. Your sufferings, your weariness, your difficulties, your discouragements, your wounds are recognized currency in heaven. When you're walking around with all this, you're, overweight, you're overweighted, you're carrying too big a load, you're discouraged, you're disappointed, you're in grief, heaven looks down and goes, man, look at all that currency they're carrying. Wow, if they would just bring it. They can buy something from heaven with that. They can exchange that for his power. They have, it has value to be exchanged, to buy something. Remember, Satan wants to wear out the saints. God wants to take weariness and turn it into something powerful, something amazing. He wants us to exchange it for his power. So what I do, so I look at it this way. We come before the counter of heaven and we lay down our currency. We lay down our pain. God, here's my pain. You know what went on. I'm hurting God, but I'm laying it down on the counter of heaven. I'm laying down my weariness. I don't think I can go on, God. I'm worn out. God, I'm going to lay down my disappointments. I thought this was going to happen. I thought this was going to happen. But God, I'm bringing my disappointment to you and I'm laying it on the altar. And God, I'm going to exchange it with you. And you said you would give me strength. You said you would give me power. And when I lay that on the counter of heaven, God gives me power. God gives me strength. And all of a sudden, I meet those prophetic moments. And all of a sudden, the power of God, the life of God is in me, flowing through me. And I am able to meet those moments and move on into the next levels and layers of my destiny. See, if we'll give them to him, we can exchange them. Listen, the alternative is awful. The alternative is awful, and every one of us has done this. If we hang on to those things, they will destroy us. They will turn into self-pity. There's nothing sadder than an 80-year-old person with self-pity. Maybe a 20-year-old with self-pity. That's ugly either way. So it'll turn into self-pity. If I hang on to these things, I'll feel sorry for myself. It'll be self-pity. I'll get bitter. I'll get angry. I'll have unforgiveness. And more than that, it will eventually crush me because we were not created to carry these things. God says, come to me. Come to me, sweetie, you. You that are carrying that load, you that can't take it anymore, come to me. I'm going to turn it into power. If you'll bring it to me, I'm going to turn it into grace. I'm going to do miracles in your life. And people are going to stand back and say, how do you do that? I know this went on in your life. How do you do that? They're kryptonite for us. But we got to stay in line and give it to him. You know, I do this almost every day. I think about it. I go into a meeting and I've got some church members or we got something going on. And, and I know this meeting and what's going to happen in this meeting. And I don't have a clue. You never get in those meetings. Uh, I don't know what to do. This is just brutal. This is awful. I mean, I got zero, got nada, nothing. This is, I don't know what to do. And so before I go into those meetings, I get it by myself in my office or in the hallway, and I go, Father, I come before the throne of heaven, and I exchange my weakness for your power. I receive it. And God, I, I exchange my inability to produce results for your ability to produce results. And at that moment, I know I'm okay because I have just exchanged what I can't do for what he can do. And I can walk into that room and I can see God do miracles because I'm acknowledging I got nothing, but he's got everything. I think parents, 
They're, they're, yeah, God, I don't know what to do with these kids. They're killing me. I, what do I do with them? I think maybe you, before you sit down with them, you go before the throne of heaven and say, God, I exchange my weakness for your power. I exchange my inability to produce results in these kids for your ability to produce results in these kids. And then I go sit down in the power and the strength of that, and I have a meeting with those rascals. Coming here today, anytime I share somewhere, I am so aware of my inability to produce results. Last night I'm praying over the meeting tonight. I've been praying for a couple months. But last night I'm praying and I know I will show up and in a group this size there will be someone in there, at least one or two, that have thought about taking their lives this, this week. They've thought about taking their lives. And I just want to say, if that's you, don't you believe that lie. That stinking devil is a liar. God has a future and he has a hope for you. He says, I will prosper you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And I break off that spirit of suicide of anyone that the enemy would come against. Suicide, you can't have them in Jesus' name. But I know when I get up here, there's, there's going to be people like that. I'm going to get up here and there will be people that know the Bible better than I do. There are people that will have walked with Jesus 60 years. And there will be people over here that don't know Jesus. It's the first time they've been in church and they took a risk to come here. And I'm supposed to bring a message that's going to meet all their needs. So you know what I do? Father, I exchange my weakness for your power. I exchange my inability to produce results for your ability to produce results. I receive apostolic grace this day. I declare the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. And Father, I pray for the manifold grace of God that takes one message and meets every need out of one message. I ask God, let your word come alive to me and let it come alive to your people. <laughs> and then I can go up here in my weakness, knowing I got nothing and God's got it all. And he'll speak to you and speak to you. Those that have known him for 60 years, if it's where my faith is, they'll walk away going, oh, I got something new I didn't know about God. And it won't offend that brand new person. They'll learn something about God they didn't know. I do it all the time. Celebration Church, you have a great destiny. You have a great destiny. God wants to use but it's not your that he wants to use. It's not your that he wants to use. I mean, we need brain power. Clarify that. We need, we need smart people. But it's not your greatness that he wants to use. He wants to use your weakness. He wants to use your inability to produce results. He wants to use that to build the kingdom. He wants to use your weakness, your weariness, your wounds to show off his power. One last example. The Apostle Paul, in the Bible, comes into a town by the name of Antioch and preaches the gospel. And people get healed and miracles happen, signs and wonders, and they begin to build a church. But along come a group of Jews that don't like it, and they beat him physically. If you could see Paul's back, it would look like you would see some of our African Americans that were beaten so badly in, in, in our history as a nation, as slaves, where the scar, scar tissue is like that thick on their back. That would have been Paul. He was beaten with rods almost 200 times. 200 stripes, 175 stripes, something like that. Um, they beat him physically and drive him out of Antioch. So he goes to another town called Iconium. And in Iconium, preaches the gospel. 
Miracles break out, signs and wonders. The church begins to get built. And here comes that same group of Jews chases him, that chased him out of Antioch to Iconium, and they beat him physically again and drive him out of Iconium. And he heads to a little town called Lystra. Now he's in Lystra. Guess what he does? He preaches the gospel. Preaches the gospel, miracles, signs, and wonders. He begins to build the church. And guess who comes and shows up? That sweet group follows him to the third town, and this time they take it another level. From my reading of the Bible, it says they stoned him. I believe they stoned him to death. And it says his friends gather around him and pray for him and raise him from the dead. And Paul leaves Lystra. And can you see, Paul, let's say it's you, all that's gone on in those three towns. Do you want to go back to those three towns? H, no. Double H, H to the second power, no. I, they're never on my itinerary again. I am never going back to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. I died in one of them. I almost died in the other two. But listen, God comes to Paul says, Paul, I want you to go back to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Man, I'd love to see his face in that moment. I mean, but he says, I delight in my weakness. I delight in my inability to produce results. And I don't know what he did at that moment when God told him that, but I could picture him doing something like this. God, I exchange my weakness for your power. And I exchange my inability to produce results for your ability to produce results. And he turns around and he starts walking back. I want to see the DVD in heaven of the faces of the people in those three towns when he walked into town. He's back. Come on. What do you think people thought? I bet the power of the Holy Ghost hit people when they saw him walk back into town. That's the guy that died. That's the guy that got killed. What is he doing back here? Shows the importance of elders because God sent him back to go ordain elders in each one of those cities. <sighs> There's a president in our American history, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I don't know a lot of his spirituality, guessing it was, but even some presidents that have been around biblical worldviews and, and understanding say some profound things through the years. And FDR was, became president right before we entered into World War II shortly before, he had a speech where he spoke over a generation. He began, it's like elevated him up to where he wasn't looking at people, he was looking at generations. And he had some powerful things to say, but he wraps up with this statement. He says, and he's speaking about what we would call today the great generation. And he said this, this generation has a rendezvous with destiny. <laughs> gives me chills. This generation. And did this generation, the great generation, have a rendezvous with destiny? They helped deliver the world of fascism and Hitler, communism and different things at that moment. But I was praying for you guys a couple weeks ago and I felt like the Lord, I knew that statement and I felt like the Lord said, Craig, I want you to declare this over Celebration Church. Celebration Church, you have a rendezvous with destiny. You have future. You have a rendezvous with destiny. And God is wanting to use you to change this city. God is wanting to use you to change this world for Jesus. 
but it won't be accomplished in your strength. Come on. The strength is going to be from God. It's going to be you and I in our weakness, allowing his strength to work through us that is going to change Boise. It's going to change this region. It's going to change the nations. Listen, you have met a prophetic moment and done well. There's more to come in your individual lives and as a church. Let me finish with this. I believe God brought some people here today that you don't know Jesus. How do you don't know how you got here? Maybe somebody invited you, somebody got you here. And maybe your past is just like this recording that keeps playing. The things that were done to you or things that you did to other people and it torments you. You haven't been able to get free from it. Jesus is the only one that can heal your past. He is the only one that can heal your past. Or you're like me. Before I knew Jesus, I, 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 I would, my mind would just go berserk. I would try and figure out, why am I here? And I was drinking and relationships and fast cars and I was trying to fill up places in my life but at the end of the day that hole was still always there that yearning that craving I remember laying out on grass one night looking up at the stars saying why am I here there has to be more than what I've experienced listen it says God is the author and finisher of your faith he's the one that created you he's the one that designed you he gave you the abilities that he gave you he brought you through the path that he has brought you through he gave you all that you have for a purpose but we will never find that purpose if we don't ask him into our life would you all stand up with me I'm going to say a prayer in a minute it says in Romans 10 9 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you might be saved. It's not what it says, is it? It says you will be saved. So I'm going to say that prayer. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. I just want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you and you say, Craig, I know I need my past forgiven. I know I want to find my future. I know I need Jesus. If that's you, would you just boldly raise your hand? Say, that's me, Craig. You're going to be, I see those hands. Come on. Anybody else? Oh, I love it. I see those hands. Who else? Come on. Come on. I see more hands. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Gosh, I bet I can see 12, 14 of you. Thank you, Jesus. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If you would, all, all Celebration Church, say this. But those of you that raised your hand, say this for sure. And if you didn't raise your hand but wish you had, it's not too late. Say this after me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for where I've been and what I've done. I believe you came from heaven to earth. And I believe that you died on the cross. But best of all, best of all, best of all, you rose from the dead so I could live. Today, I make you my Lord. And I make you my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Hoo-wah. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God love people, and change the world.